Welcome to the Parenting Cipher, where each episode will give you the tools and resources to help your child thrive in school and in life. Please rate and review this podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback and also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. So today we have Miss Christine Job, who is originally from Atlanta, and she currently resides in Barcelona. She is the creator, producer, host, and editor of Flourish in the Foreign, a podcast she launched in May 2020 that has already received rave reviews and an ever-increasing listening audience. She is a business strategist that works primarily with women of color, which is us, that leads ventures, shepherding their products, services, or businesses from ideas to launch. She most recently began offering strategy services to help walk or women of color who want to leverage their talent and expertise into valuable and sustainable online businesses while pursuing their dreams of living abroad. Thank you very much for coming, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. So I've been loving the conversation because it's like right on time since we're talking about moving abroad, right? And in my audience, one of the things that (laughs) we don't want to talk about, but it's always on our mind is making more money. And that's Mm -hmm. actually one of the reasons I became an entrepreneur was because I need more money to pay for additional therapies, Maybe what I can do is take my skills and my experiences and translate it into coaching. So for women who have ideas and they want to make it and turn into a product, what's the first steps that they do? Definitely. I think that the first thing that women need to do when they're considering transitioning from a career profession, working for somebody else to working for themselves is, I think, number one, you got to know your numbers. You got to know how much money you're trying to make a month because that that really changes everything. It depends because all of us women were multifaceted, multi-talented and, you know, depending on which talents we have or skills that we have, some of them are more lucrative than the others. And that's just facts. So I always tell women, first and foremost, Let's get serious about the number. What is your ideal number that you need to make a month after taxes, after expenses, all those things? And I think it's also something I like to talk to my clients um, up front because a lot of women have a lot of like blockages around money. Um, And, you know, as women, especially women of color, we have been conditioned to do a lot of free labor, physical, mental, and emotional. And I think it's important if you're going to start going into an entrepreneurial role to get really comfortable with numbers in general, the numbers you need to make to make your life work, the numbers you want to make to have the ideal lifestyle you want to have, and to, of course, you know, run the numbers for a business. So that's the first thing I always tell everyone, for sure. Those are facts. I think when I had an idea and I was like, oh, I want to be an author, I did not have a number. I thought more of titles versus the cash part. So mm. like, I just want to be a best-selling author. Well, best-selling author does not equate to dollars. <laughs> not all the time. <laughs> And, you know, my thing is is that everybody wants different things. Everybody has a different bucket list item, right? And you might say, I want to be a best-selling author. And I'm going to be like, that's cool. We can make that happen. But if your number is 10,000 a month, well, we know that 
selling books isn't probably going to get you there. You have to devise a plan to get you there, which would probably go around speaking engagements, other kinds of digital products. And it really depends on who you are. Some people are like, "Mm, I don't really want to do speaking engagements. Okay, develop a course, develop digital products. And maybe you don't like to be in front of lots of people, but you can do summits all day. You're going to be around lots of people at all. You'll be at your house. So, I mean, that is the biggest thing. I, I hate for people to think like there's only one way to the dollar, to the euro, whatever. There isn't. You can be yourself. You can do the things that you want to do, the things that are in alignment with yourself. But you just have to be savvy and strategic. Right. And you can't be afraid of the number. We talk about money mindset. You put limitations on how far your dream or your idea can go if one, if you don't know your number, but two, you're scared of the number that you say. Like one of the things when you're an entrepreneur and you go through a bunch of coaching, they always say, So what's the number? How much do you want to earn? How much do you want to earn this year? How much do you want to earn in five years from now? And you say a number, it's just a number if you are not attached to it, you can't see it, you can't visualize it, you can't see what comes with it, then it's just sitting there. Like, oh, I didn't make that number. It's okay because I really think I was going to make it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I really detest this kind of marketing strategy that's going around. And everybody's like, I'm going to make you a six-figure coach and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, look, when I say pick a number, I don't just say like just out of the air. I mean, let's actually run the numbers. So six-figure coach, what does that mean? Is that revenue? Is that profit? Is that take home? Those are three different numbers. And to get there, if you have a six-figure revenue business, excellent. I'm happy for you. But how much are you taking home? Are you spending an incredible amount of money on ad spend to make that happen? There's a lot of questions. And I think once women get comfortable with picking a number and doing the research, because deciding what that number is and the why why is it this number? What is this going to help me do? Okay, you have like your personal things that you say, this is why I got to hit this number. I got, you know, people to feed. I'm really trying to make us get here. Also, it lets you know what kind of business you want to run. Okay, yeah, maybe I want to hit six figures, but I don't want to invest all this money in ad spend. So if I don't can do ad spend, maybe I have to do a lot more face to face. Maybe I need to cultivate relationships longer. Maybe it's going to take a little bit longer to convert, possibly. But that's not always true, depending on your business. That's why the number is so important, because it really starts to outline the kind of lifestyle, but also business you want to have. It's kind of start telling you what services that you should offer, depending on the kind of lifestyle you want. If you're trying to be the four hour work week guy. Yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about. Tim Ferriss, that's what his name is. You know, and everybody's like, yeah, that's what I want. Okay, you can do that. That's obviously possible. It's like when people thought running a four minute mile was impossible, then one person did it, then everybody can do it. Of course, it's possible. We can all figure out how to get there. But there's many different ways to train to get there. There's many different ways to get to a four hour work week, depending on where you are in your business. It might take you two years to get to that point. It might take a lot of investment in systems and in contract employees or employees to be able to run that business so that you can have a four hour work week and have your lifestyle. That's my thing. It's like that's why numbers are so important, because it takes the mystery out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like 
all of a sudden this nebulous idea, okay, I don't want to work for somebody. I want to work for myself. Once you have that number, there's an outline to the business because now it's like, okay, it becomes algebra. You know, it's like, you know, X plus whatever, solve for Y. That's what it becomes. This is a good conversation. Because usually when people want to be an entrepreneur, it's just an idea. I want to be an entrepreneur. They see someone, like you said, I see someone who say, to be a seven-figure earner if you do A. I can do A. I want to be a second. But there's so many different pieces. And there's so many different ways that you can get to the seven figures. Um, and when you start, and if you're not really talking to a coach, you're not in a coaching group, people who've already done it, then it's a lot. So this is the first time I've spoken to a coach and we're talking about business and they say lead with a number. Usually it's lead with the vision and the mission and then the number. And from my experience, things can get really, really unclear when you're leading, especially if you're creative, you're leading with your creativity without a number in mind. And I'm like appreciating this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, it's so important. And the thing is, is that, you know, my background, I have a business degree, I have a law degree, but I also worked primarily when I started working for myself, I worked primarily with within the holistic wellness space. That Mm -hmm. was I did strategy for a lot of holistic wellness, um, micro and small business owners and creatives. So I completely understand people who are saying, I'm here on this earth to give, provide this service of healing or of art and beauty. And I fully believe that. Like, I think, of course, if we, if we say to an artist, no, you need to really get a a real job. Like you need to get a real job. Then we don't have any art, (laughs) you know, like we don't, we don't get art. And so what I was always about was like, I don't believe in starving artists I don't believe that things that can really heal and help community should be seen as luxuries or as, you know, dead end, just altruistic passion projects only done by the people who like, well, you know, my spouse is wealthy, so I don't got to worry about this. Like I just run this yoga studio. I don't believe that. I just don't. I think that you should be able to do well by doing good. I believe that you should be able to sustain yourself and to live abundantly while being in alignment, period. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the fundamentals to my strategy style is like I believe in being professionally fulfilled and financially abundant. I think a lot of times when people talk about entrepreneurship, um, they think, and especially kind of in my niche of like going abroad, people think it's like a hammock in Thailand with a laptop on your lap. And I'm like, I would never bring a laptop onto a a beach. Like this is nonsense. And I like Thailand, but I never brought it on the beach. Doesn't make any sense. They think like that is the ideal. And that's not everybody's ideal. Mm -hmm. Some people say, I really like working. I like doing what I'm doing. I like having going to the office or working with my clients and having that delineation because it's professionally fulfilling for myself. I get to serve people. Okay. But I also need to make my life run. And so that number is so important. Now, when we think about, you know, visioning, I think it's so important. And I utilize visioning and meditation into my practice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, because I think it's important to have those balances of, you know, analytical and then also emotional because emotions drive a lot. It's very mm-hmm. powerful. But the thing is, is that 
I think when we have these visionings, especially, or I guess, depending on where this entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur is coming from, if they're Mm -hmm. coming from a place of burnout, if they're coming from a place of desperation, then the vision is just like anything but this, like anything. And that doesn't serve anyone. Right. Right. It's just like anything. It's a Hail Mary. It's this very strange energy. And I'm like, look, I'm going to honor your feelings. And I understand that you're feeling like this isn't this is not it. Mm -hmm. You know, your body's telling you this is not it. So good. We have acknowledged that that dissonance. We're going to take that information, though, to say, what is it about this that that's not it? Right. I, I went to law school. I have plenty of friends who make ridiculous amount of money being very successful lawyers. Right. But some of them are in positions where it's golden handcuffs. So it's not money. That's mm-hmm. a bad thing. It is perhaps lifestyle or cultural fit. So I think that's why it's important to start with the money aspect, mm-hmm. because it kind of helps you to focus focus on what you need. When you just think of visioning of like, I just want to, I don't, and it could be whatever. I just, I just want everyone to be nice to me at work. Well, people could be nice to you anywhere. You might just work somewhere that's horrible. I think it's important. And I think from personal experience, you know, I've been caught up in vision and I have launched, I I produced a music festival when I lived in Atlanta. It was a complete passion project. Mm -hmm. Not make any money. I loved it. Didn't make Mm -hmm. any money. And I think that's important. You have to know that, are you in a position to have a passion project or not? Ooh, that's a good one. You know? That's a good one. You have to ask yourself when you're doing something, is this a passion project or is this something that you are utilizing to make money? I personally get caught up in passion projects. So, and I'm making the shift into making sure that anything I do that I'm passionate about actually makes money. And it is, it's a different conversation. So we have the money. We have the idea, right? Then what is the next steps? Because I want to know how do I get abroad with my entrepreneurship, taking my skills and creating a business and then getting abroad. Like, how does that manifest? So once you have the revenue idea or either you have an idea of your revenue and then you also have a basic sense because the revenue, like we said, creates an outline. This is the part that freaks everyone out. And it is like, I think we all know, if you watch YouTube videos, this is a part where you have to niche down. You have to actually pick a lane. And how you pick a lane is combination of all of your skills. You lay them out, look at them very nice because everybody has so many different skills. But you have to be honest with yourself. What are the things that I excel at? I excel. Then what are the things that are, you know, valuable and profitable. Because if you're in a specific industry, perhaps you're in some kind of finance or accounting, you know what skills are extremely profitable. You know what things are like the skills that are highly sought after. You know that, or at least you have in a sense. Out of all your daily duties, you know the things where people are like, can you please do this? Can you please do this? Can you please do this? That's that's a hint. That's a hint that people pay you to do that because they keep on asking you to do it. And it's that is profitable and because people are valuing it. Mm-hmm. That is the step. I think it's also important when you're niching down, of course, niching down into an industry. So like if we take the example, you're an accountant. 
And I'm not, I don't know about the licensing for accountants. So sorry if accountants are like, that's not true. <laughs> license in every place. Okay. But we can also flip, but we can flip that because I've also talked to people who are therapists and they flip their business model because there's, you know, licensing about being a therapist on the world. They flip into being life coaches. So it's mm-hmm. You'd be a financial coach. Okay. Like it, yep. it works, but it's important to understand the industry. And a lot of times, especially if you're competent, and especially maybe if you've been in a role in which you had to be everything to everybody, because maybe everybody else in, in the workplace is not competent, so you know how to do everything, you're like, but I can do it all. So I'm going to do it all. And I'm like, no, you're not going to do it all. You're not going to do it all. Or you're not going to do it all for everyone, right? Maybe you have a, you know, 360 service, but you're only going to work with a very specific industry with a very specific client. Yes, you are competent, you are brilliant, and you could probably solve everybody's problem because you got like that. But that's Mm -hmm. not how we're going to launch a successful business. Because if you are speaking to everyone, you are speaking to no one. Mm -hmm. How are people supposed to vet you? They can say you have all the credentials, but I mean, are you talking to me? Are you talking to her? Are you talking to him? I don't know. And that's why niching down is so, so important. I have had clients resist me. Oh, they resist me so hard. And it's hysterical because I'm not a drill sergeant kind of strategist. I do not berate my clients. I don't. I, I pose these questions to them. I say, okay, will you tell me where are you going to market your services? Tell me, like, where does, where does your person hang out? And of course, they're like the internet. Well, everyone is on the internet. Where on, where, what blogs, what podcasts, what Facebook groups, where are you going to put your marketing dollars or marketing equity, sweat equity to get the visibility for people to even know you to even seek you out, to even try your service. And I let them sit with that. Sometimes it takes a session. I say, okay, I'll talk to you next week. You let me know. And once you let me know, we'll rock and roll. And what happens is they think, yeah, I'm not for everyone. And I say, <laughs> that's okay. But it's, it's powerful. It's powerful to not be for everyone for a couple of reasons. One, for marketing purposes, but most importantly, For filtering, you want people to self-filter. You want to be so specific with the type of client you want to work with, your ideal client or whatever you want to call it, that people filter themselves out. Like people say, oh, wait, no, you're not talking to me. And good, so they don't waste your time, (laughs) you know? And people don't want to do that because they're so afraid of missing a sale. And... I promise, I promise you that you are not going to miss a sale because the thing is, is that you want to convert the ideal client. You don't want to have a relationship with people that is painful. It is, and it's just you or your team. And you're just like, and you're really thinking like, dang, do I need money? Do I need to eat this month? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I could just starve. I don't know. You don't want that. You don't want that position. And also, you're never going to pres- like really you know, give your best effort in that kind of energy. And then 
you may not have a client who's thrilled, satisfied, and a raving fan, which is what you want to convert these people into, raving fans to do the marketing for you. And it's just a waste of time. That's why it's so important to niche down. Marketing aspect, not a lot of people have, you know, the billions of Amazon and or whatever, whoever who can like follow you around the internet. And you're just like, follow you into your living room. You're like, this is weird. Like, <laughs> how do you know these things? We don't have right. that marketing. We don't have that marketing spend, right? So it's important to be strategic. I'm Southern, so I always give this example. It's difference between a buckshot approach and a sniperish approach. And I'm not like a huge like gun-toting girl, but I'm Southern, so there's that. And, you know, it's true, though. Do you want to send all your marketing dollars just out into the mm-hmm. universe and hope it hits something? Like, no, that's money. That's time. That's effort. You want to be super specific. You want to be so specific that you hit that target. That's what niching down does. It also does something really cool because while you're, when you're really, really specific and you're speaking to uh, a specific audience, you get to develop that relationship with them. You get to hear them. You get to hear what their problems are. You get to hear what they think their solutions are. And like, they never know what the real solution is. Like, I know that as a consumer, I'd be like, oh, what a, I think like, I really need like this specific notebook or something. They're like, no, you need to just turn off the internet and read a book. Like, you know, like productivity. We're like, I think I need a new planner. And it's like, no, what you need is stop being on the internet and do this. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where we get to step in, right? As business owners to hear what people are saying hear what they are saying is their problems and offering them solutions. Because oftentimes the consumer doesn't know what their solution is or they would have sought it out and they're still not satisfied. That also helps you to mirror back, which is probably the best kind of marketing. You, because as, as a competent professional, we use words of, you know, trade words, like these kinds of very specific technical words in our trade. I, I'm not looking that up. Like if I'm looking for something in finance, I'm not going to be like, um, some very specific CPA accountant word. That's what I need. I don't know that I need that. So what that helps you to do when you niche down and you're in those spaces where your client is, you get to hear that language and mirror it back to them. So maybe I'm not like, oh, I need a CPA. Da, da, da. I'm saying, oh gosh, like, I'm running a business. I got this money over here. I got this money here. I got taxes. What I got to do about that? I don't, that's the language I'm using. And you're like, mm-hmm. actually, we're going to do some bookkeeping. That's what we're going to do. Some bookkeeping. We're going to get you to do your provisional taxes and pay those quarterly. And I'll be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know any of these things because that's the language I'm working with. That's why niching down is so important, right? You get to really get to know someone, cultivate that relationship utilize their language to mirror back to them and build a relationship because they feel mm-hmm. heard. They feel seen. And that's important. That's so important. I was one of those people. Like I raised my hand. Like I was one of those people. Niche, niche down. No, I'm going to talk to everybody. But it changes your entire world and business when you're able to say, this is who I'm talking to. And this is their concern. Instead of like, you're just out here just talking to everybody. It's like, but they say, you know, you're out here trying to catch flies. 
You can't catch anything. For sure. <laughs> okay, so then we have finding our number, niching down. Then what's the next step? So this is where I like to actually go back into visioning. Like this is a step where visioning comes up at, right? We've done the number, you know, we have some ideas. Now we've niched down. This is strategy. This is how do we get to our goals? And there are infinite ways to get to our goals. This is how we start developing the business and the vibe of the business. That's where this visioning comes into place, right? This is where I want my clients to really say, one, you are a servant leader. At least that's who I work with. I work with servant leaders, people who feel compelled to serve others. And it doesn't mean you have an altruistic or nonprofit business. It just means you believe so highly in your abilities and your services that you know that as you give to these people, you are going to be transforming their life. And you can do that as a CPA. You could transform some people's lives for sure, especially, you know, business owners by being an excellent CPA, right? Right, right. So this is where this comes into play. It's about visioning and saying, what does this interaction look like? How do I serve? How does this transformation happen? So we have all this information about our number, some ideas that are going to sustain this number, parts of our capabilities and talents that will actually get us there. And now we know our niche. So we can take it to it's $10,000 a month. Um, it That says that we'll probably do some maybe bookkeeping and business taxes for our clients. And now we said, uh, my client are women of color who are mommy bloggers mm-hmm. in I don't know, in the United States, because uh, yeah, let's say the United States, maybe, maybe let's even be more specific in the Southern United States, right? That's what we're going for. Okay. So now you're saying, how do I want to approach this? How do I want to run my business? Because a lot of people will like hold on to ideas and like, oh, I can't tell anyone someone has it, they're going to do it. And I'm like, there is literally nothing original under the sun. Everything is a derivative of everything else. And 5 million people have the exact same idea. It is all about execution. It is all about execution. That's mm-hmm. why there can literally be 5 million CPAs and people be like, no, this is my girl. Like, this is who I rock with. That's where this situation comes. You have to say, how do I do what I do? This is also a good, po- this is also a good point for you to really envision your day. So, you know, if you have other responsibilities, you say, okay, my day looks like this. I talk to my clients from eight o'clock, nine to three. And that's the only time I work from Monday to Friday or from Tuesday to Thursday. I might take some other, you know, special client calls on Monday, but that's it because of my lifestyle. That's where you start developing that, right? Mm -hmm. This is the point where you start developing the strategy and the ethos of the business. So, and and that also is really important because you're starting to really take a stand. And that's my Mm -hmm. biggest thing. I think a lot of people see people who are successful and they want to emulate. They're like, that worked for you. So I'm going to do exactly it. And yes, success does leave crumbs and clues, but you standing in somebody else's shoes and projecting your voice and wondering why you're getting only crickets is because it's not authentic to you. It's not in alignment, right? So we can obviously use 
you know, lean business models and different kind of business strategies to attract business, put people through a sales funnel. But this is a part where you have to be the most authentically you possible. If you're an introvert, don't be going up there and be like, I'm going to be a raw, raw cheerleader accountant. If that's not who you are. Not who you are. Mm-mm. If you are <laughs> like, I am a rapping accountant and I'm going to rap and I'm be an accountant and I want to merge it. I'm okay. Fine. That's who you are. There's going to be a, there's going to be a segment. I'm sure who's going to be like, wow, she can really spit. She can really flow. Okay. And she's an amazing account. Yes, I love these things. But you got to be true to yourself. You got to be true to yourself. You have to be in alignment. Yeah. So after we take those three steps, which are straight up analysis, this is the heart. This is the passion. This is what makes you, you, for sure. So after we kind of decide, this is my brand. This is what I'm offering to this service. This is how you can then start developing a brand and a market and start putting it out there for people to see and test and saying, Mm -hmm. we're going to your market and saying, hey, I'm this person doing these things and this is how I do it. Right. Let's work together or let me show you what I can do. Yeah, that's she's teaching you guys entrepreneurship 101. Okay, I'm just learning those things. I've been entrepreneurship Apparently, according to my book, like five years, right? But it's only been the last two that I've been having these type of conversations. It's not just about what you want to create. You do have to niche down and you do have to have a strategy. And everybody's strategy does not work for you. If, like you said, if you're an introvert, because I'm like both, introvert, you don't want to be on camera. Do not think that you're going to make follow someone's model and they're on, they're doing lives all the time. It's going to be hurtful for you because. You're going to try to make yourself do it. It's going to be a struggle every time you have to get on that screen. And you're and the most important thing in business and being an entrepreneur is sustainability, consistency. That's how you build your true follower, your true fan. And people get to know you is being consistent. And if you are trying to do something that is not in alignment with who you are, oh, you're going to be on a struggle bus. I'm be on yes. a bus <laughs> Yes. You know, I tell, I tell all my clients on when we're doing onboarding, I say, look, this is going to be uncomfortable, but it's not going to be painful. Just like any like good movement practice or exercise, doesn't matter what it is, for growth to happen, should be uncomfortable. Maybe you walk an extra mile. You're like, this was uncomfortable. But it should never be painful. Right. Yoga, lifting weights, ping pong, it shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't. Because pain, we all stop. It's natural response. Like, no, I don't want to feel pain. Uncomfortable, yes, that's growth. But going against who you are. Painful. And bashing yourself over the head, being like, no, I have to be on IG Live. <laughs> it is an and it, what happens is you create this cycle of disappointment in yourself because it's something that you want that end goal. You're following someone else's model that's not in alignment with you. And then you don't show up and you're and beat up like, oh, my God, I suck. This is bad. And then you either keep trying or you stop moving forward because you get stuck in your beat up and you don't make progress. Definitely. I think business, although it's uncomfortable and you have to stretch 
and you got to learn some different things. You know, I'm a firm believer in infusing the business process, the entrepreneurial process and your business with joy, with pleasure, with rest. (laughs) I don't believe in this crush it, grind it kind of thing. I think it's real like certain kind of dudes. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. Like you can just be yourself. If you're saying, I need to take a nap, uh, you know, from 12 to two, you can take a nap and still be successful. I live in Spain. There's a whole country that's still rock and rolling, takes siesta every single day. So there's different ways to, to do things. And being honest with who you are and how you show up is only going to have the right person be attracted to your business. You know, if you're like, hey, I'm a CPA, but I also believe in rest and wellness. <laughs> so you're not going to attract, they're going to be like, you're not going to attract people who are like, what are you doing? Ah, ah. You're not going to attract that. Because that's the thing that I was talking about earlier about filtering. You got that on your website or in your messaging. People are like, I don't know. You seem a little bit too laid back to be a CPA. They're going to find someone else, which is perfect for you. And someone else is like, oh, yeah, I like this. It seems very gentle, very, this is my vibe. You know, tra- exactly. You know, you're mm-hmm. only going to bring those clients to you. So you being someone that you are not is never going to work. And like you said, it has to be sustainable. And this has to be pleasurable in some kind of way. Like mm-hmm. business is not supposed to be painful. Like you go from working for somebody else, being miserable, working for yourself and being miserable. It's work. It's work. I, I always tell my kids, I'm like, I'm like, there's a difference between a job and a career, right? And I always tell them a job is something that you have to do to earn money. A career is something that when you wake up in the morning, it's a joy to do. It's a passion. It's something that you like to do. Even if in the whole construct of whatever you do, there are pieces that you may not like, but at the heart of it, it excites you, like your ideas, what you're passionate about. And it's the same thing. Why would you go and become an entrepreneur from working in a job? And then you bring those pieces with you, you're still going to be unhappy. <laughs> you know, but I, that I think is just, it's human nature. It's what, I mean, it's something that people who move abroad do all the time. They're like, I'm going to move abroad and my life's going to get better. And they take, you know, maybe <laughs> the American mentality and uh-huh. move here to Spain and they're being mad that everything is closed, like here in August. Everybody goes on vacation. Maybe you're like, what? You mean everybody, the dry cleaners? Yeah. Everybody goes on vacation and maybe they'll put up a sign. Maybe they won't because they just going to live their life. Or, you know, during the rest of the year, they may leave for siesta. Maybe they'll come back that day. Maybe they won't. And they'll be mad. You don't want to, you don't make money and da 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 da. I'm like, you look, this is a different mentality, right? Different mentality. They're not ra- that- racing after every single euro. They really like, you know, life. They don't even really, they don't even really have like this work life balance kind of concept because they just live life and enjoy it. Life. It's not about the dollar. And it's so funny when people go to different countries and you're taking your mindset over there and you're upset. But you, one, you when you went decided to go somewhere, you did not really look up their culture, right? So you don't 
you don't know what's going on. You're bringing your predisposition ideas and you're like, oh, why are you not open? Oh, how dare you? Like I've seen reviews of like Dubai during Ramadan and people are irate. Americans are irate. How dare? Why are you closed during Ramadan during the day? They're fasting. So they're closed. You know, don't they want to make money? No, it's not. And, and that's so important for people to understand, like in moving abroad, do you want, are you trying to have like the American experience minus everything you don't like and plop it somewhere else? Cause that's not going to happen. I mean, that's not going to happen unless you're independently wealthy and you have like, your own Island. Sure. But for everybody else, no, it's not going to happen. It's important to understand what is it in your life or in your career that you currently do not like and, and take that time to really understand what it is. Is it, I don't like working with my coworkers. I only want to work with competent people. If I work with competent people, I'm happy in my work. Uh, you know, I don't like the kind of clients I work with. I only want to work with people who are trying to do some good in the world, whatever, whatever then state that the same thing about moving abroad. What is it that I don't like in my current situation in my home country or my town? What am I really trying to go after? Am I really trying to have work-life balance? Like I'm trying to claim, well, then you're going to go somewhere where they're like, well, this is how we live life. So be ready and embrace that. But it takes so much self-awareness and so much self-accountability. We have to be accountable to say, Wherever we go, there we are. We go from a career to entrepreneurship. We come from, you know, our home country abroad and we're having the same problems or we're having some angst. There is some lack of introspection happening and there's lack of surrender because yeah. look, these are two very different situations you're in. You're working for yourself. Oh my gosh, I thought it was gonna be great. I thought it was gonna be four hour work weeks, you know, immediately. No, <laughs> not immediately. <laughs> not immediately. Not immediately. There, there's some, you know, there's some heavy lifting to get an idea rolled out. Um, depending on how much capital you have to really push it out there, depending on what it is, it's it might take a while. Moving abroad, you think all my problems are gonna be solved, and I don't know, you're gonna be woken up with some, I don't know, birds singing every single day, and even if you are. You may be like, I hate these birds because you brought whatever you're going through to this With country, you. right? Yeah. And then people blame entrepreneurship, like, oh, it's horrible and I it doesn't work. And, oh, I moved to Mexico. Mexico's the worst. It's like, no, it's no. you. It's you. It's you. It's you. I went to, me and my kids, we went to, where did we? We went to Dubai and we went to several countries in the Middle East and we went to London and Paris and- when we went, I took my parents and I told my mom, what I need you to do is I need you to put your black experience, your Americanized black experience, I need you to put it aside for a minute. Because my mom is like old school, so she'd be quick, like, racist, you're racist, you're doing it because I'm black. And I'm like, they have other things going on and it's not about you being black. They have other cultural and other things and situations that they're dealing with. And unless you understand them, then that's what you're going to assume. And because that's what you're looking for, you're looking for the experience. That's the experience that you're going to receive. And she was like, okay. And I was like, I, I just need you to chill. She had a beautiful time versus you can have stories where people says, oh, French people are rude. French people are this. 
I didn't meet a, a rude French person, but we also tried. Me and my family tried. Like, it's so funny. My brother, is, he's in the cafe. He's like, do, do espresso, do espresso. And he was like saying it all wrong. He had that long language. But she was just smiling at him. And then she told him how to sell it, say it correctly. It was just like our experiences because we came in and we came in open and vulnerable. And, you know, in saying that, when we talk about taking your experiences and then going abroad, right? And what do you have to have in place? What does that look like? How do you get to Spain? <laughs> oh, my goodness. How does it look like and how do I get to Spain? Um, well, okay, so let me answer the Spain one first. So I got to Spain. I don't even know how to start this. Well, I've always wanted to live abroad. I've, I've always wanted to live abroad. I started um, traveling as an unaccompanied minor since I was like four or five domestically. And then hmm. internationally, when I was 10, my dad had gotten um, transferred to Germany when I was about 10. So I started spending summers with him. And so that really opened up my my world. I never learned fear of flying. I never learned fear of being by myself and traveling. I never learned fear of being in a place and not speaking the language. I was just like, mm -hmm. someone probably speak English. And and I was 10. I was just like, <laughs> I, I actually, I felt like someone's going to take care of me. And I think that's also a very interesting feeling to have. Like the universe is going to take care of me. Like I'm going to figure it out. So yeah. I always had that feeling. And then by the time I was 17, I knew I wanted to live abroad for sure. So I went to university and I was like, I'm going to study abroad. I'm going to make it happen. And I did. I came here to Spain, to Valencia, and I studied abroad for a semester. And I had, you know, an interesting experience. It wasn't a romanticized experience like I had in my mind, but <laughs> it was it was interesting. It was I was like, OK, cool. And then, you know, between graduating from university, going to law school, I traveled um, my first job out of outside of law school. I joined a startup in Miami and I actually went on trade mission when I just graduated from law school everybody else was studying for the bar exam and I was in Namibia and South Africa on trade mission with this startup that helped me to be like oh I want to be abroad like I want to live abroad like I want this jet set lifestyle this is what I want um I actually ended up leaving that startup and coming home to Atlanta and I started my own consultancy. And that's when I started working with holistic wellness, micro and small business owners and really learning that space. And that was really interesting. I produced a music festival. I did a lot of cool things and I got burnt out because it is a hustle. It, mm -hmm. it can be a grind. <laughs> and I was definitely in a space where I was into my wellness practice, but I was still very committed to, I would say, like American grind culture, plus like coming out of law school, which is a whole different, like, we right. don't sleep, like we sleep, sleeps for the week. I was right. like, oh, okay, like, not for me. Like, I was like, oh, I need sleep because I'm going to go crazy. So I decided to go on a sabbatical and I moved here to Spain to um, La Rioja, the wine region and teach English for nine months, like totally outside my field. I had, I never, at the time, none of my friends, I think one of my friends had her first child and he was like a little baby baby. So I hadn't been around kids. So I, I decided to teach English because I'm like, I need to get out and I need to do something. The first day 
you know, I walk into primary school and the kids are like two feet tall. And I'm like, oh my, I'm in a school with children. <laughs> like, this is crazy. But it was an amazing, amazing experience for me because it really taught me how sometimes you do things and you say it's for yourself, but you're always being moved and put in place to serve others. I had a school that I taught at. It was deemed the immigrant school mm-hmm. in town. And I, I didn't really understand what that meant. I kept on being like, what does that mean? Like, what are you guys talking about? My Spanish wasn't that great because I was like, I hadn't been practicing as much. So when I come, I was like, I didn't understand what they're talking about. What they were talking about is it was the black and brown school. So oh. it's in like La Rioja, Spain, very white country. I think people don't know. It's very white. And also in this region, it's very white. And it's the black and brown school. You know, you have kids who are first generation, second generation from Bangladesh, Pakistan, Morocco, Mali, all over, even Romania. Um, And these kids were like, wait, who are you? Like, they're black Americans? (laughs) And like, you speak perfect English? And... You went to law school, their, their minds were blown. They were, they hadn't had a teacher that looked like me, which looked more like them. Mm-hmm. And they probably won't ever have a teacher. And I, ha- I was there and I feel very deeply that I was placed there to be that representation for them and to help them grow and help them have that affirmation for themselves, right? Um, a lot of these kids spoke French and Arabic and Spanish. And I was like, and you're learning English. Like, y'all good. Don't let anybody right. tell you anything. Actually, exactly. Don't tell you anything. <laughs> so that's how I got to Spain. I did that for a year, loved it, decided to move here to Barcelona because I wanted a big city experience. And I started working remotely for a boutique web development company in DC. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and started working for myself. So that's how I got to Spain. Now, how I developed my business, because I had it in Atlanta, and how did I have it here in Spain, was going through the process of niching down. I knew, I knew that one, my target market was not Spaniards. The you know average salary here a month is 900 euros. Mm-hmm. That was not like, no, that doesn't cover my rate. <laughs> and and like the, and you may think that my services are superfluous whereas there's other people who are like nah she's necessary so I don't target my business to the general Spanish market although I do have clients in Spain they're expats so it's very important to understand who you are speaking to I have seen a lot of people move abroad you know maybe to Portugal maybe to Spain and then be like hey Portuguese people buy my things and they're like right no not for, how much money you talk you crazy no like no um so it's important if you are going abroad to really understand who your market is your market maybe the local economy probably not if you're trying to make the euros or the dollars that you're trying to make that's why it's so important to niche down and understand who your market is so that you can be in Thailand and you're not making Thai bot. Like, right. no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to make USD. I want to make euros, um, especially in the Northern you know, European countries. I want to make British pound as long mm-hmm. as that holds up. That's right. what's important. So that's, I think that is a balance. I had to understand 
okay, I want this business to work for me. I'm six hours ahead of East Coast Standard Time. So how am I going to lay out my business to work for me? Who am I going to go after? What are my services going to be? And for me, I knew I like working one-on-one for now, Mm -hmm. but I actually will probably end up having a course or something like that. But I had to understand those things. I had to understand who my market was and I had to put myself in that position. I did that mostly with word of mouth because that's where, that's how I built my business forever. It's just people knowing me and being able to do that. But being in a, you know, in a different country and trying to be like, Hey, I live in Barcelona, but I could be a really good help. (laughs) You know, sometimes you play into it. Sometimes you don't for me. I so I just play into it because a lot of people ask me questions about living abroad. And so I said, look, I can answer those questions and I can actually tell you how I did it, how I'm doing it. Right. And I'm doing it not by depending on the local economy, because again, like I said, it's weak and, and, and it's hard, especially in Barcelona where it's, it's like an international city. So the prices aren't Spanish. They're, mm-hmm. they're European. So okay. It's it's like you have to understand again your numbers so that you understand who you're marketing to, right? So did I answer that question? You answered the question, and then as you were talking, I was like, okay, so now I got it. That's when we start talking about when you're an entrepreneur and you decide to go abroad. First of all, why are you going abroad? And then converting those numbers and who's your audience is a lot of things you have to take into consideration. But we're back to the why. Like for instance, I have a client, she's relocating to Paris actually in December for a couple of months because her son has muscular dystrophy and the specialist in Paris are better than the ones that we have here. Mm-hmm. And she's an entrepreneur. So she's at the part where she is thinking about, okay, the correlation, the hours, but it always goes back to your why and what you're passionate about. Like yourself, I've always wanted to travel. And once you travel, you get the bug, like especially the younger you are, the more you get the bug and you don't have any limits. Like someone says 18 hours, you're like, it's not long (laughs) to be on a plane. Like you're like, no, that's not too, that's not long. You can do it. What's the problem? Why we can't just get on this plane? Like what's holding you back? And when I talked to her and she's just turned two. And her other son, I believe he's like five. So it's like, ooh, she's like, yeah. And I'm enrolling him in school. Hmm. She's already spoken to someone who lives in France, who's going to help her find a house to rent. So it's doable. But the most important part for her is she is an entrepreneur and that gives her that freedom to do it. So then the other thing I was like, okay, see, now it makes sense. So Christine has a podcast that's called Flourish in the Foreign. And as you were talking, I was like, I get it. I get it now. So tell the audience a little bit about Flourish in the Foreign. Yeah, so Flourish in the Foreign is a weekly personal narrative podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and the stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. I created the podcast because I just felt like there was a need for Black women who are living abroad's narrative to be heard and told by us. I just got tired of like traveling and also living abroad. And there just be people, I'll say probably mostly white people <laughs> who are expats or travelers being very confused as to like why I was in the same space. They were like, what are you doing here? I'm like, 
live my life. What are you doing here? You're right. from Australia. Like, what are you doing here? And I got tired of that. And also, because I always wanted to live abroad, I actually pursued it immediately after I graduated from university. I graduated in 2009, which was not a great time to graduate from university. And I hit up all of my mom's friends, strangers. A lot of these things that we have that are staples weren't staples in 2009. I don't know if people realize that. Like some of these, you know, intricate LinkedIn, like LinkedIn wasn't as popping. All these things weren't as popping as they are now. And so I was just sending a lot of emails and being like, hey, y'all know how to get abroad? Like you got a job? You got something? You got something? And so I was that person. If anyone knows about going abroad and it's part of like these, you know, expat forms, I was a person who's like, I want to go abroad and I'll do anything. Help me. And of course, you know, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. That's, that's the reason my emails to these people. And they're like, I don't know you and I can't help you. And I, I wish I had known these women, the women that I now know, I wish mm-hmm. I had heard their stories. I wish that even these women who are not doing anything that I want to do, just hearing that the fact they can do it, Mm -hmm. live in Hong Kong, live in Argentina, live in Australia, and do what they want to do and create a thriving life for themselves would have changed the game for me. Because I was never like, I was always an ambitious person and a proactive person. And I felt like I spent a lot of years spinning my wheels because I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go in. And I just wanted to go abroad. And it wasn't until I went on trade mission after law school to Namibia, where I met the then U.S. ambassador to Namibia was a black woman. Now, intellectually, I knew that black women could be ambassadors, but I'd never (laughs) met an ambassador. And so when the door is open to her compound, she's having us in for tea. And I'm the only black woman on the trade mission with my company. So I'm just like, oh my, I was like, maybe I should be an ambassador. I don't know. I was just like seeing that representation was just so key. It was a game changer. It was a game changer because I was like, oh, this is real not just intellectual, you know, exercise. This is real. So that's what the podcast is about. I want it to be, you know, an an anecdotal resource bank for people, women and girls who are thinking about going abroad. But I also want it to be like inspirational. I want it to be us telling our stories, not waiting for somebody else to tell our story and get it wrong. (laughs) Um, And I want it to be some practical tips because you can Google And as black people, we do Google. And then we say, let me find a black person. So this is where, this is the black person. Right. (laughs) You can find out what is the real deal, or at least this person's perspective, what they dealt with living in the country. And it has been such a blessing. It has been incredible. One, just to meet these fantastic, fantastic women. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. Black women making something out of nothing and then just doing it and looking fabulous while doing it is the norm. That's what we do. But it's been amazing. I mean, professionally, it's also been fantastic because I get to widen my network and the podcast. I didn't know anything about podcasting <laughs> at all. Nothing. All I knew was that I, I like to listen to This American Life and that's it. Like, I didn't know anything else. And 
I really started from the ground up in March Mm -hmm. and I did what I usually do. I have a 12 week sprint that I actually work with my strategy clients and I just put myself on a 12 week sprint. I launched the podcast in May. The podcast has just surpassed 2000 downloads and has over 20 something reviews and opportunities just opening up for the business, for everything, but also the, uh, the feedback has been fantastic for people being like, wow, I feel seen. I feel inspired. People loving the podcast. It's been wonderful. Really. Lots of warm fuzzies. That's been fantastic. Thank you for creating it. Just because I'm in a space where I talk to Black women who are abroad all the time. And when I speak to other people, they're like, wait a minute. I thought you said that she was in Thailand. I was like, no, no, she was there for a little bit, but now she's somewhere else. And they're like, oh, so does she just move around? Yes. And they're like, what does she do? And, you know, I've spoken to, to people um, who live in Paris and uh, my mom's like, oh, so is she white? I'm like, no, she's black. Because I said that she was a head of the European Council as a consultant. And my mom's like, in her name. So her name is like, <laughs> it's a Russian last name because she married a Russian man. And my mom was like, she's black. I'm like, yes. She's like, oh my God. She was like, I never would have thought that. And, you know, and my daughter always talks about traveling abroad. So when she hears these stories, it does, it makes her know what she can possibly do. But also like when you get there, it's an experience. And that's important, especially when you come from America. We, our experiences, like, they're not so good. They're not so bad either. But it does make us very, I'm going to say anxious, but I'm also going to say it makes us anxious of people, which makes us put our guards up. And when your guard is up, you're not vulnerable and you can't let people in and you can't let the true experience come in either. Yeah, I agree because, I mean, I think for me and something that I explore on the podcast, I think specifically for Black American women, moving abroad, living abroad is truly an exercise in wellness because it opens up a world of choices that have not been available to us in considerations. One, either from just systemic racism, being like, you can't do that. Or just societal programming, being like, we don't do this. When you are abroad, you know, especially as Americans, because we have passport privilege that has to be acknowledged, there is this openness, almost this overwhelming amount of choices from the minor, just being like, oh, I didn't know that you know, in Germany, maybe I, I could have a beer for breakfast. And do I want to have a beer for <laughs> breakfast? I mean, it's, it's an option now. Do I want to do that? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. To major lifestyle changes where you're like, no, like I take all of August off and off off. Like I don't check emails and like the French, like the Spanish and people are offended. Like what are you doing? Email me. It's August. Leave me alone. These are things that but I think for Black women, really exercising this ability to choose and in this choosing, this intentional choosing to cultivate a life well lived and to understand and to be able to exercise the fact that we are not monolithic, right? No matter what society has conditioned you to think, Black women we're not monolithic. We don't want all the same things. We have different values. We have different lifestyles. That's why you can live in Albania and live your best life or live in Thailand or in Rwanda and live your best life. 
is such a practice of wellness. I deeply, deeply believe that. I think that for Black American women, wellness is a concept that's not talked about enough. Mm-hmm. And people think because of the experience and the experiences that you can have in America as a Black woman, they're like, I don't got time for some wellness, some, some <laughs> crystals, and <laughs> some bubble baths. I don't know. Is that what it is? Because I don't seem like that solves anything. And although I have crystals and I love a good bubble bath, for us, and I can only speak because I'm a Black American woman, wellness is obviously so much deeper. It is so much deeper. It's so much, it's so encompassing. Mm -hmm. Wellness for us has to encompass professional wellness, financial wellness, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical wellness. That's truly, and, and not in a shallow way, in a very deep deep way because we're trying to heal ancestral and generational traumas. That's what we are being able to go into. And I think that's something that, like you said, sometimes we have our guard up because we have to always have our guard. We all have to be like, so Mm -hmm. what's this BS you're going to try to spit at me today? And other people be like, I'm just curious because we're in Albania and I don't ever see black people in Albania. And I just, I don't mean any harm to you. (laughs) It's just that we don't see black people here. So I'm going to stare at you, but I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm just going to stare and be like, wow, (laughs) you really look like a chocolate bar, but you're a person. This is amazing. Like with your unicorn, like look at the unicorn. Why are you here? Unicorn. And we can get defensive. I've gotten defensive being like, look, y'all, y'all got some Google. Like y'all have seen some black people, but having to understand the traumas that we've been through and the baggage we bring to places and really be in a space that is safe, obviously physically and emotionally, where you can unpack those things and you are allowed to be soft and you're allowed to be vulnerable and you're allowed to explore the places within yourself that you can't explore because you're in a survival mode. Mm-hmm. And that's regardless of socioeconomic status in the United States. <laughs> right. It is. So for me, living abroad, I think some people might think that's ridiculous, but it really is a practice of wellness. I'm not a person that says bump your home country, living abroad is where it's at. I think that the process of living abroad could open you up in a space, in a mentally, that you could go back to your home country and really be a catalyst or come and live and do things completely different or decide to not ever go back, depending yeah. on what you want to do. Yeah, this conversation is in alignment with me. We talk about wellness. So one of the things I always talk about is wellness is not this huge endeavor that you have to schedule in your life. That's not what wellness is. It's those small things. And for Black women, it can be so small as what's that one thing that you like to do today? Do you like to read? How many of us get so bogged down in life that the thing that you love to do when you were a kid, you stopped doing? And that is your thing. For some people, it could be something as simple as drinking more water. I mean, it could be so small, but it can be so big. But the small things that we ignore that become problematic when it comes to wellness. Yes. We ignore the small things because we feel like we need to push through. So we ignore things for our health. We ignore the small things because they're just for our pleasure and joy. And like, who? how dare us? Like, how dare we? Grind. And it's something that 
is programmed. Moving our body is not going to stop it. It is a conscious, intentional effort. I find myself working all the time. And I'm like, why am I, I live in Spain. Ain't nobody working like this. People be like, do you want to do this? I'd be like, oh, I'm working on this thing. People are like, really? To the point where I have to say tomorrow, Monday, I'm like, I am taking the entire day. That's it. I'm going out of the city. I'm going to a nice beach, I'm not answering any emails. And I'm just going to do things I like to do. And even that, having to watch my thoughts and notice the anxiety I have about taking time for myself, right. this programming is deep. And it's the guilt. deep, deep. It, it is, is deep, deep. And, and the guilt. guilt. We're not even, this, this is a whole nother conversation because we're not even going to talk about when you had to talk to other people. We're not talking about we got to talk to your parents. We talk to your grandparents because they're looking at you like you're crazy. You're lazy. Like, how dare you tell me you're taking off? Like, why are you taking off? Are you sick? Are you, because <laughs> let's be real. Because if you're taking off, like if you're a parent and only if you're a parent, you're taking off because you're sick or your child is sick. If you're single, you're taking off because you're sick. Wait a minute. But look. Look, Christine, you can't be like sick, sick, like a cold. Like you nope. got to be sick. Like you got to be sick where your parents like, did you go see a doctor? It's like, how dare you take off? If you take a vacation, well, where are you going? If you tell someone you're not going anywhere, like you just want to take off for yourself, they're thoroughly confused. Like, Yes. And see, that's the thing. For me, I know my programming runs deep and it's going to take some years. To get where I'm trying to go, it's going to take some years to really condition or reprogram my mind. But I live in a society where the peer pressure is to relax. Everybody's like, tranquila, like, <laughs> chill out. It's not that serious. And I'd be like, but it is. It's not you that deep. delivered this washing machine yesterday, and now you're here. Like, you know, but, you know, you. I live in a society where everybody's like, mm, no, we're going to enjoy life. I got other things outside of work. I want to go to the beach. I deserve to go to the beach. I pe- So it's an interesting society where it's like, people are not judging me if I'm going to the beach on Monday. It's only me. Right. No one else. Everybody's like, oh, really? Only Monday? They're like, it's August. You're not going anywhere? I'm like, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. But okay, y'all. <laughs> They're like, you're not going to stay? They're like, you should just get stay. I mean, they're like, you can bring your laptop, but like, you should go. Right. And that's what I needed. I guess I needed societal peer pressure in a different way to start right. helping me. For you to actually slow down and breathe. Yeah. That's one of the things I noticed when I went to, um, actually, when I went to Dubai and we were on a ship and mm. I started looking at the water and then it was so calming and I was actually able to center my thoughts more because I didn't have the pressure of what do I have to do today? What do I have to do today? You know, the list of things that we say we have to get done to feel accomplished, which is so funny because the way that American thought patterns work is we focus on what's not done, what we do, but instead of what we have accomplished. Oh yeah. And that creates that foundation of anxiety, but also that ties into our self-worth and our value. And that's why we work so hard because we never take the time to appreciate what we actually have accomplished. For sure. I mean, that's 
who I've always been. You're literally speaking to me because I'm like, I have always been an overachiever, but a person who's achieved never celebrated it because I was like, well, if I got it, everybody else could get it <laughs> on to the next thing. And that is, I mean, obviously detrimental mm-hmm. because as an entrepreneur, you have to pace yourself because nobody else is going to pace you. So how do you not burn out? How do you, and not even just burn out, but how do you show up fully for the people you're serving? Because they deserve that. But you have to create boundaries so that you can show up for people. So you can give that great service and working yourself to the bone, not creating boundaries, being like, yeah, of course. Okay, sure. The call's at 3 a.m. my time. Okay, yeah, I'll be on call. No. <laughs> no. But creating boundaries it protects yourself, but it also makes yourself sacred by creating these boundaries. You have to have boundaries around yourself because outside of that, you're just going to be like this cup that just keeps pouring. And when you're empty, you're like who's going to fill you up because you just kept pouring. And then you then on top of that, you, because you kept pouring, you never had a period where you actually turned that cup upright for people to pour into you. And that's where the boundaries come in because the boundaries say, okay, I've given enough. Let me tip back up and let me refill. When we talk about wellness, that's what wellness is. That's what emotional wellness is. Taking that time to breathe. I like to say breathe. Mm. I feel like it's something that we do because it's what you do, but we don't really sit there and take a deep breath. We don't really sit there and think about that inhale, that exhale. We don't sit around and look around like what we're doing, how it makes us feel. So you're not in actually in touch with who you are, how you're showing up, how other people make you feel. And it's a detriment. You get lost in this. I like to call it the American cog, like Mm. forever, ever working. And then you take that whole mindset and you become an entrepreneur. That doesn't serve you. It doesn't. It doesn't. I think that's why I'm so passionate about people, one, working in alignment with themselves and also really being clear about how they want to show up and how they want to develop a business. because you have to build into your business rest. You have to build into the business joy and and pleasure. Like you have to, mm-hmm. you, because it doesn't just, it doesn't come. There's not yeah, a fairy that just like sprinkles it on you while you're on your, your laptop. It doesn't happen. I'm just um, sitting here, um, it's going to happen now. It just doesn't, you know? Maybe for some people, joy and pleasure is having a foosball whatever in their office and for other people that's not it and you have to be true to what yours is um, yeah because you know like i'm laughing because like in my job they they have what they call fun and i'm like that's not fun i don't want to do that that's the thing that's not fun to me and then well, what i think is fun is not necessarily fun to everyone else and i accept that but I don't, I, I don't want to take up a lot of your time. So I have like two more questions. And one of them is about, so what is consistent with Christine is that she continuously talks about alignment. And I love that. And you have an alignment and abundant 12-week sprint program. What is that like? She has given us a little bit of tea because we know what her step one, two, and three is. But what is the program about? Because I know it's like, it's, I know, first of all, I know it's good. So the 12-week program, Aligned and Abundant, is for, one, competent women entrepreneurs. 
period. I only work with people who know what they're talking about. There are other, there are other strategists and people for people who are like, I don't know what I'm doing. Da, da, da. And that's no shade to y'all, but I only work with people who are competent because for me, the program is not a, it's not for like researching and building up your competencies. You have mm-hmm. to be competent in your fields for us to really launch a product in 12 weeks, period. So it's for competent individuals who work in integrity too, because I'm not about make oil salesman. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know uh-huh. about. I'm not about that. I'm not a person that's just like, you know, repackage, repackage, repackage. No, I, I, I really believe in transformation and I really believe in real products. Um, the program is for, like I said before, servant leaders, people who really see their business as a way to serve their community, the collective in some kind of capacity, no matter what that business is, but mm-hmm. you have a heart of servant leadership that has to be there. And also my program is for people who are truly committed. And I make this a point because there are 5 million courses <laughs> and there's 5 million you know, business coaches and things like that. I'm not a business coach. I'm a strategist. And I made the distinction because I not only have a business degree, I have a law degree. I've worked in startups. I worked in incubators. That's how I started being a consultant was working in an incubator at my law school, at at the main campuses, startup incubator. Mm -hmm. So I know what I'm doing. I'm about it. And I'm not about thinking and or, you know, philosophizing forever and stringing long people. No, I want my clients to transform. I want them to propel. I want them to launch. I want them to, at a certain point, outgrow me. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But I can only do that for people who are committed to the work. It's 12 week sprint. It's a sprint. It is intense and it is uncomfortable. It is not painful and it is not exhausting. But what it does is it focuses your mind, your efforts, and it requires action. We don't mm-hmm. talk about it. We be about it. I always tell everybody, I'm a mad scientist in the lab. We're going to test it out. We're not going to be like, oh, yeah, we think this is going to work. No, we're going to go out, like push you, little baby bird, out the nest. We're going to get that market research. You're going to talk to people. You're going to get people in your sales funnel. We're going to see what works and what doesn't work. Um, that's how we pivot. So we got to do that immediately so that by the end of 12 weeks, you have a tried and true and proven product, service, business. Because this isn't, you know, I don't believe in you build your business in, in secret in a, in a dungeon and then you <laughs> unveil it and it's all the clients come. Ooh, no, I've never... If if you if somebody says that if that's their coaching or strategy style, I'm gonna tell you right now, no, I don't believe that. I, I just don't. That's never worked for me. I only do things that have worked for me and for clients over the past eight years. That's not how it works. Um, I firmly believe in testing and iterating, testing and iterating, and that's probably because I started off in an incubator and working in tech startups. So. That is what the 12-week sprint is really about. The first month is really about ideation. 
The second month is strategy, 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 which also has to do with experimentation and pivoting. The third month really is about launching and having a hard push, but obviously there's iteration in there as well. But that's the 12 week sprint. It's, it's tested, tried and true. It's what I use to launch my podcast and that's been working out amazing. Yeah. So for me, the aligned and abundant, I call it that because I wanted people to know that you can be in integrity. You can do whatever your heart's desire is and you can be abundant. These things are not mutually exclusive. They're not like abundance isn't dirty. <laughs> like you need <laughs> to right. be sustainable. Like this needs to work so that you can keep on doing what you're meant to do and you deserve to be paid whatever you want to be paid. I mean, I always tell people the pet rock was a thing and people made a lot of money with a pet rock. So like, why do you think like you can't make the money or don't deserve to make the money? And you're, I'm, I'm already say doing a service that's way better or a product way better than a pet rock. So these things are these things are so crucial to work together. And that's what I do. The 12 week sprint is gonna launch a new product, it's gonna launch a new service, it's gonna launch a new you because you do have to evolve and it's gonna require you to show up and show out. Mm -hmm. But my clients love it. And I'm blessed. I'm blessed for that because I only attract clients that I like working with. <laughs> Because some people will hear this and they'll be like, oh, this seems intense. And I'm like, look, it's not for the faint of heart. I'm mm -hmm. not a, I'm not a drill sergeant. I'm not going to yell at you, but I will hold you accountable and we're going to move because I can't have a client who, you know, isn't moving. How would it look for me? I can't have you being like Christine's my business strategist and you staying in the same spot <laughs> for 12 weeks. I can't have it. I can't do it. It is a difference and it is a push when you have to launch a product and to have someone to help you strategize instead of you. I like to call them home. So when I want everyone, I want to strategize. I'm like looking at what everyone else is doing and figuring out what pieces I can do. And then I have to put them together. But to have a program like yours where you're helping people create the strategy, that's a big thing. That's huge. Wanted and needed. Yeah, because, you know, what I find, and this is something I, I saw when I first started working in the incubator in Miami with students and then with alumni, is that I would have men roll out of bed, come into my center, into the incubator, and be like, Christine, I had a dream last night, I want to do this business. And I'd be like, all right, we could talk about it. And it's like, yeah, it's a new pool noodle. It's a new concept on the pool noodle. And I'm like, okay. I mean, we live in Miami, so it could go. Sure. <laughs> I would have women come into the incubator with a huge binder, all of this research and be like, yeah, I've been thinking about this for three years. And I'm just still not really sure if it's a thing. And I'm like, girl, yes. I'm not, I didn't even open the binder. I was like, yes. It's a thing that you should try. I don't know about viability until we get in there. And we start moving some things around. We start seeing what's happening. But clearly, if for three years you've been thinking about it, and you got three years of research, there got to be something there. Right. So my thing is, and I think it's why I 
purposely work with women and women of color is because we don't pull the trigger fast enough. We don't. And I am the person that pushes you to pull that trigger because we got to move. We got to iterate. We don't pull the trigger. And there's someone else. I, I like to say, whenever you have an idea for something, it's it's sent to you by the universe. Yeah. But it has to but it has to be birthed. Yeah. So if you do not birth it, you will be sitting there and and someone else will because the universe has to give it someone else because you're you're moving slow. And then you're like, oh, I had that idea. You did. And you sat on it. So yeah, that's not gonna work. Look, everybody need to get on a line and abundant if you're ready to do the work. Not I just have an idea. You have the idea, you're ready to put in the work, and you're ready for the coaching. When I say ready for the coaching, you want a thing, but you don't want to do the pieces that are needed for it to come to fruition. And like what Christine is saying, it's not about necessarily what Christine is doing, what Steve Jobs is doing, what Rachel Rogers is doing. They're doing what's in alignment with who they are as a person. And trust and believe, every person you see out here making seven figures, they have a coach. So on that note, to my sisters out there and you have a business and you're an entrepreneur, I need you to also embrace not just Christina as a coach, but the idea of a coach and a strategist because it will help up-level your business quicker than you just in people's masterminds and you're in these Facebook groups and you're like, well, I'm going to, oh, this person did this. Let me try that. This person did that. Let me try that. You're spinning your wheels and it's going to be frustrating for you, but you're not going to be able to up-level as quick. So I want you to make sure everyone knows you know, if you're ready, because it's not for everybody. If you're ready. If you're ready. Online in a funded 12-week course. And then I always ask everyone what's their favorite hip-hop song. Because um, it's like that. Yeah, you said all I do is win. All I do is win and Ain't Never Scared right. by Bone Crusher. Yeah. Because... Never Scared was my hype up music in law school mm. because I don't come from a family of lawyers or people who have even gone to college right after high school. I do have other people in my family that went to college, but it was later. So I was the first and I was going to school and I, I didn't have like a cushy law firm job waiting for me. And I felt very much out of my element. I was in a different state. And Miami's like a different country. And I felt like people were trying to intimidate you. And I was like, I'm from Atlanta. So no, <laughs> I'm not. No. And I really, I used to hype myself up. I'm like, I'm not scared. Like I can do all things, period. If y'all want to take it there, let's go. But, you know, that that is a hype up music. And also for me now, it reminds me not to move out of a place of fear. Mm. Like I can speak things into existence and I can move things around. I don't like the results when I'm moving out of fear. I like the results when I'm coming out of, you know, confidence and I'm coming out of divine alignment. And I'm just like, this is mine because it is. It's been placed Mm -hmm. in my heart. Therefore, I claim it. That's why. Also, the same reason for all I do is win. That's an affirmation. Like all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Even if it looks like I'm losing, it's actually for my greatest good. It's for my highest and my best. So all I do is win, period. So right. those are the reasons, yeah. Yeah, I always ask that question. And it's such a good question because well, some people are like, I don't really listen to hip hop. I haven't listened to it since I was a teenager, but they have a song. And when we start talking about why you chose that song, I'm like, music speaks to 
parts of our journey in life. And a lot of times, one of the parts of the epiphanies or when we're going through strife or when we're growing, you got a track. You have a track. You may not even know you have a track until someone asks you. And it's all about growing, overcoming that thing or just I have a song. And my song literally was I was in a point of shift, Hmm. growing from who my parents wanted me to be into who I wanted to be. Right. And that's why music speaks to you. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all of your tea with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Always remember you're doing the best what you have. Remember to be patient with yourself and your child. Did you know you can support the show on Patreon? So the Parenting Cypher can keep bringing you great content and guests. Just click on the Patreon link in the show notes. Till next time.